Welcome to the latest edition of the Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jonathan Mayo and Jim Callis. Uh, we are, we think, about a month away from the draft. Uh, guys, we still don't know for sure. Uh, we still don't know for certain how many rounds there are going to be. There's still a lot of uncertainty. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's kind of where we were at a week ago, where we're just kind of waiting to, to find out. It, it, it seems that the draft is going to be June 10th. Um, but other than that, we don't, we don't really have any other information. So we're still in the same holding pattern that we were. And uh, just like all the teams, we were eager to find out exactly how long this year's draft is going to be. I mean, Jonathan and I have heard for weeks from teams that MLB plans on giving them, you know, a month's notice before the draft. We've heard a ton of chatter from numerous teams in the last couple of weeks that everybody's expecting to be June 10th. Those are the indications we're getting from MLB. So if you put those things together, we should get the details this week. I mean, obviously the story came out after we did our podcast last week that MLB had gone to the union and said, we want to do 10 rounds, but we don't want to pay the full slots for round six or 10. We want to cut them in half. The union declined to sign off on that. Um, and now the question is, is there going to be another proposal that would go further than five rounds, or is MLB going to say, well, we can't figure this out. We'll just do five rounds because that's the minimum we have to do. I mean, I know from talking to teams, you know, if it's just a five-round draft and you can only pay guys who aren't drafted $20,000, nobody is looking forward to the free-for-all after the 160th pick is made and then, like, 25 teams are trying to sign the same guy who went, who's going to go in the sixth round for $20,000. So that's, I think how they kind of sold uh, the owners who obviously aren't getting revenue right now on, on doing a longer draft, but you know, what we'll have to see, I, I, I still, Jonathan, if, if, if I had, I'll, I'll still say what I've always said that I'll believe it's five rounds until I see otherwise. Yeah. Um, I'm in the, in the same boat. Uh, you know, without any real certainty, but uh, I, I would put it right behind my f- conviction that Spencer Torkelson will be the number one pick in the draft. I think I feel stronger that Spencer Torkelson goes number one than I do that it will only be five rounds. Interesting. Well, that uh, <laughs> that leads perfectly into the first topic that we wanted to talk about Uh today thank you jonathan master segue master the segue um jim you are more certain that torkelson will go number one and and you may have been certain before but uh that that was probably uh that certainty was probably ratcheted up even even more after you talked to several dozen uh executives and asked them a very specific question of who should go number one overall Arizona State first baseman Spencer Torkelson or Vanderbilt uh, outfielder slash third baseman slash former shortstop Austin Martin. Um, You got 35 answers to that question. 29 of them were in favor of Torkelson, five in favor of Martin, and one said it was too close to call. Were you surprised by the – uh, the route, the the nature of of uh, 
the way that Torkelson won that. Yeah, I, I was. I mean, we were we, we kind of came at this question. It was kind of like our the story I did a couple of weeks ago where we were comparing the two guys with with 80 hit tools, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Wander Franco. And, you know, these are the top two guys on our draft top 150. Um, and, you know, so we asked everybody, you know, who who's the better prospect between these guys? And does anybody else deserve to be in the discussion to go 1-1? And, and I, I would have thought coming in, like I thought Torkelson was probably going to win. But if you told me that we'd get, you know, the third, the one, we'll throw out the one guy who, who, who didn't make a call, but the 34 guys who did, I might've thought it might've been like 22 to 12 or something. I mean, I, I, I mean, both these guys, not that it would have made a big difference anyway, but both these guys this season were, were basically the same hitters that they've been in the past. You know, Torkelson's got great power. Um, you know, along with that, he's a very good hitter who really controls the strike zone. So he gets to his tremendous raw power very easily. And Martin is probably the best pure hitter in the draft and he controls the strike zone and he steals bases and, you know, he, he's going to, you know, he probably has more average raw power, but he gets to it because he's such a good hitter. So nothing really changed there. I think the thing that kind of flipped it is, it, or, or made it so one-sided is if Martin, like, Everybody was hoping that Martin was going to play shortstop. I mean, the, the parallels between him and, and Dansby Swanson, who went number one in 2015, were several. They were highly regarded high school players who weren't signable. They go to Vanderbilt. Martin actually played a lot more as a freshman because, because Swanson had a foot injury. Um, they both helped their teams win the College World Series as sophomores and, and were major stars on the team. And then Swanson moved to shortstop and became the number one overall pick. And the thought was – you know, this summer that Martin was going to move to shortstop and, and you know, that would really enhance his defensive profile. And that didn't really happen. They have Carter Young, who, who's a freshman, who's, who's a, a very, you know, quality defender uh, at short. So Martin opened the season at third. He was, you know, teams have some question on his arm and he wasn't looking great making throws at third. So they moved him to center field. And I, th- I think a lot of people believe he can stick in center, although it's not, you know, pure, you know, plus speed in center. You know, some guys think, he, you know, maybe goes to second base. But I think the fact that Martin is not at that, you know, you're not talking shortstop versus first base. You're talking center fielder, maybe second baseman versus first base kind of, you know, widened the gap. But yeah, I was, I, I was not expecting it to be 29 to five when we, when we posed this question. Yeah. I, I think it's kind of interesting because on the one hand, you know, I think we've both been hearing from scouts that what did or didn't happen this spring can't figure too much into evaluations because it's not enough. But then when you're looking at this particular instance, it clearly, uh, was weighing into people's responses, at least to your questions, Jim. And I'm wondering, you know, not only did people not see him at shortstop this spring, but sure, Carter Young is a good defensive shortstop, but if Carter Young was a junior, do you think that would matter more? Meaning like, okay, everyone's excited to see Martin play shortstop, but he's not good enough to play shortstop over a freshman who just got there. Yeah, I mean, it's not – I don't think it's so much the freshman versus junior, but just playing off that even more. I mean, last year, Ethan Paul was a senior who was a shortstop on their College World Series team. And, 
you know, Ethan Paul isn't like a six defender with a six arm at short either. And, you know, people were saying, look, <laughs> Tim Corbin's a very good coach. Tim Corbin wants to win. And if he thought Austin Martin was his best shortstop, he'd play Austin Martin at shortstop. And I asked guys, you know, even when we were doing our, our draft stuff, you know, talking to area guys and cross checkers for that, like, can you think of a shortstop in the big leagues? who didn't play shortstop in college and, I didn't really, I mean, I'm sure there probably has been, but we had trouble coming up with one. So I, I don't think it's so much that he was a freshman, but I think it's just the fact that like, look, they've had two chances to play him at short and they haven't. And then the, the other part of it too is, is I had talked to fewer people about Torkelson because he's in Jonathan's half of the country, the way we split up the draft. I mean, I talked to people about him, but I wasn't bearing down on him per se, because I didn't have to write him up. Um, and like I knew Torkelson was really good, um, but I didn't realize he was this good. I mean, guys are saying like he's clearly the best power hitter in this draft, but like he's also he's right there in the discussion probably with Martin and Nick Gonzalez as the best pure hitters in the draft. And he controls the strike zone. And I mean, I had one scouting director say, like who's been in the business for a long time, saying he's the most major league ready hitter he's ever scouted in the draft. Thought you could put him in the big leagues right now. And he could start at first base for Detroit if Detroit took him 1-1. Um, you know, I had another guy compare him to Frank Thomas. I had another guy say they don't think there's been a college hitter, you know, hitter plus power this good in the last decade. I mean, you compare him to Chris Bryant, and there were more swing and miss concerns with Chris Bryant. I mean, I had another guy say he could be a 70 hitter with 70 power, maybe even better. And just on and on and on. And so, like, I knew it was a good bat, but, like, talking to guys, like, we were going back to maybe like Mark Teixeira to come up with the bet and, you know, last bat, you'd say it was definitely better than Torkelson coming out of the draft. Um, so it's a, it's a pretty special bat. So it was, it was funny, even though it was one sided, the, the story I thought was, 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 I'm glad we did it because I knew, like I said, I knew Torkelson was good, but I didn't know we were putting him up on the pedestal with like the best, you know, bats in the last 20 drafts or so. It makes me makes me want to revisit uh, the the grades I, I put on him, um, but uh, yeah, I think you know people. A lot of people were trying, were kind of comparing him to Andrew Vaughn, who you know went third last year. But I think he's like Andrew Vaughn version two point uh, You know, in terms of that, and not just because it's you know comparing draft class to draft class, but I think for a first baseman and a right-handed first baseman to be considered this uh, this high uh he has to be he has to be kind of special i also think that uh people do feel he is more athletic than uh, to add on to all the specialness with his bat and you know probability 90% sure he's a first baseman only but he showed he showed a little more athleticism than people expected and i think that Gave him a little extra boost. I don't know if people brought that up at all, Jim, because everyone wants to talk about his bat. But I think we're, you know, it's a kind of situation where let's say he ended up going to a team and they had an established first baseman and he's ready for the big leagues in a hurry, like everyone expects. I think he could play left field without any problem. You might even want to try him at third where he takes ground balls regularly. I, I wouldn't throw him in the big leagues right away there, but I'm saying, you know, given a little time, especially left field. Uh, you know, I think that gave, gives them a the, the little tiny bit of an extra boost. Yeah, I mean, again, 
you know, I think if Martin was playing shortstop, whether Torkelson could play left field, I don't know if that would make that much of a difference. But guys did mention that. I mean, after everybody raved about his bat, guys did say that they think he's bigger and stronger and more athletic than Andrew Vaughn, who, you know, we loved last year when he was number three overall pick. Um, you know, I had a, I had a cross checker who wasn't like you were saying, wasn't saying like, oh, he could definitely play third. But he said, you know, his athleticism gets kind of overshadowed because he's, he's in an infield of uh, at Arizona State where everybody in that infield could go, you know, could get drafted in a five round draft. Um, you know, and they got Gage Workman, who's a pretty good defensive third baseman too. And that if he was at a different school, maybe he would have gotten more opportunity to play elsewhere besides first base. You know, the thing that's interesting to me is talking to guys too. Um, and, and you, I mean, you had him coming out of high school three years ago is it's, it's like Andrew Vaughn. Nobody was talking about this guy like this in high school. You know, I went back and looked at perfect games list to see, and they had him as the 36th best high school player in California. Um, so uh, no, I mean, it's, uh, uh, you know, it's just interesting me that like, you know, and again, I mean, I think this can happen with the guys who aren't great athletes and they're just bats and you always let those guys go to college. But, you know, at least in my area, like I, you know, Kyle Schwarber was like slightly on my radar and granted Indiana is a lot smaller than California, but did Torkelson ever come up in 2017 when we were doing draft stuff? I, I would love to say yes, but I don't, I don't recall him ever, ever coming up. Well, and that's what guys were telling me. I mean, the, the, the directors and cross checkers, I were, you know, were saying like, this guy wasn't on our radar. And then he, you know, very quickly, not that you were bearing down on him as a freshman, but early on in his Arizona state career, it was like, Oh, this guy's pretty good. Um, yeah, yeah, his numbers are just absolutely ridiculous. And um, I even got to see him before everything shut down out in Arizona. I got to see him, and it's rare for us to see college players in person pre draft. And, and uh, even in that brief sample size, I'm like, you get it. Like, he, he just he didn't swing, he doesn't swing at anything out of the strike zone. He waits for pitches, he punished the really one good strike he saw. Um, and then walk twice. I mean, he was going to walk a hundred times this year if uh, if the if the season had been played out. So it's it's pretty impressive. Jonathan, you mentioned the tools, the tool grades that you put on him. Uh, Sixty hit. Uh, there's only one player uh, on this year's list with a, a higher rated hit tool, and that is uh, the aforementioned Austin Martin. Um, Sixty power, and that's really what what separates the two of them in terms of uh, their, their, you know, their hit grades is the 60 power compared to Martin's 50 power, um, 40 run, 50 arm, 50 field. Uh, in this past six years that we've been putting grades on draft prospects, there have been six players that have had hit and power tools of 16 above. Can you guys off the top of your heads think of any of those guys? You've you've already mentioned uh, a couple of them. We didn't go 60-60 on Chris Bryant, did we? Because, I mean, I don't think he was a 60 hitter. And I guess that was before I was officially a member of the pipeline team. Yeah, so we're looking at – we're considering 2014 through 19 here. So that leaves him out. By the way, I've already I've already asked for Torkelson's power to be moved up to 65 after – Based on this conversation, that would put him that, that would put him in in the same uh, stratosphere as only one other uh, draft prospect from 2014 to 19. I'm just looking at the top of our list. I don't think it was anybody in 2014 necessarily. Did, was it was Vaughn 60 and 60 last year? Wow! Like I say, I cheated here. <laughs> this begs a question. I guess I, I went 60 hits, 65 power on Kyle Schwarber, um, which which. 
we were more liberal with our grades back then, I guess. Um, and then we, and yet we only ranked him as the 16th best player in the draft. So I, I, I don't know what I was doing. Um, <laughs> that, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, that, that surprises me that I get, I went 65 power on Schwarber. Yeah. I mean, he was 60, 65, but an overall, um, 55, whereas most, most of the other guys were 60s overall. So I guess that's how he ended up at 16. On- I mean, I know there were defensive questions on him, but yeah, that seems, seems odd. Yeah. I mean, he was a, a 41, 40 arm, 40 field for, the, for his other three tools. So we had two guys last year who were 60, 60 in Rushman and Vaughn. Correct. Right. That makes sense. And like, I don't think in 2015 we would have done that or 16, we would have done that with, with Moniac or Senzel, I don't think we would have given Bregman sixty power. Right. So you you have to go back. You have to go back to two thousand fourteen, and and you, you mentioned that the grades were maybe a little uh, you were a little more liberal with the grades back then, and that may be the case because there were actually Conforto. Maybe could have been Conforto since we. Oh man, Alex Jackson. Yes. Oh, the only the only high school player uh, of the seven who have received. How'd that turn out? Um, well, man, better than, and what's weird is even in our report, we talk about his, his swing gets long and he can miss hittable fastballs. So I think, I think we were, I mean, and I'm not picking on Alex Jackson or Schwarber, but it, it seems like we were both more liberal with our grades back then. Like, I think we've made a concerted effort to get tougher and it's like hard to strike this balance, especially because we don't do present future. Like, you know, so you don't just go dropping, you know, 70 power on Austin Hendrick out of high school. You know, even though he's got great raw power, you kind of have to balance some risk too. But, like, uh, interesting. I would not have come up with Alex Jackson or Kyle Schwarber. Well, and, and you, asked how, uh, you, you asked how Alex Jackson turned out, and I was going to say better, arguably better than the, the final guy uh, that you have not named yet, also from that draft class. Oh, from 14? Yep. Man, I was even looking at the list, and I don't know who you're talking about. I, I like it. When you said 14, I thought maybe Conforto, because he and Schwarber were kind of neck and neck. And, you know, I think a lot of people had Conforto ahead of Schwarber. Um, hmm, a lot of pitchers on this list. Okay. He's no longer playing baseball. Uh, wow. Uh, Casey Gillespie. There you go. Wow. Okay. Yeah, we were we were very, just very 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 liberal, I guess, back then. He also got the rare twenty run grade. He's, he's a ten now. Well, and, I, and I wrote and I wrote. One scout said Gillespie was the best switch hitter he'd seen in years, and gave him a chance to be as good as Lance Berkman or Mark Teixeira. Uh, no, that did not happen. So, Jim, going back to your story here that that launched this whole conversation. Uh, we've talked about Torkelson and Martin. Um, the one player that did come up outside of those two, because you you also asked the question, were anyone else uh, that you would consider other than these two? And and really, the one player uh, who came up, I think, five times was Texas A and M lefty Azalezi. Yeah, he came up a bunch, and he there were so again, the vast majority of people just said no we shouldn't talk about anybody else in that discussion. And in fact, most people didn't necessarily even think it was a two person discussion. I had one scouting director who said, if I'm Detroit, I don't even have to worry about the number one pick. 
I'm thinking about my next pick because I'm taking Torkelson. But so you, five people said that Lacey would definitely be in their mix. Two more said they wouldn't put him in the mix over Torkelson, but they would take him over Martin. And then another one said if you if you believe that you win with pitching, that you have to win with pitching, then Lacey and, and, and George's Emerson Hancock would be in the discussion. But yeah, I mean it was it was Lacey coming up the most. There was one guy who had the very cryptic remark of there's a high school pitcher he would consider with the first pick, although he didn't want to tip his hand by saying which one. So and he, and he didn't. Oh, high school pitcher or high school player? High school high school high schooler. He he was he was vague as to whether it was player or or or, or pitcher. But um yeah, you know, Lacey, I, I could see that. I mean, you know, Lacey again, if let's say you're a little more worried about Martin's arm and and wondering about where he's going to fit defensively. Maybe you don't think he's an up the middle guy. Then I think it would be easy to necessarily go with Lacey. I mean, you're talking about a guy who's got, you know, fastball, slider, changeup are all plus pitches. Can be better than that. His curveball's not far behind. He's missed a ton of bats in the best conference in college baseball uh, for the last couple of years. Um, he's left-handed as a bonus. Um, so yeah, I you know it's, what's, what's interesting is, I think it would be easier to take him. Like I'm just playing like I, this scenario out. Like I'm not saying this is what the Orioles are doing, but like so like I to me I think the Tigers take Torkelson one. I think if you're the Orioles at two, you could be really interested in Asa Lacy. Except if I take Austin Martin or I take Nick Gonzalez, the next best position player at two. There's so much college pitching in this draft. I think the Orioles pick again at thirty. I know I can get a good college pitcher, not Asa Lacey, but a good college pitcher at 30. If I pass on the bat at two to take Asa Lacey, then the bat I'm going to get at 30 would be a bigger drop-off. But, it, but it'll be interesting. I, I, I don't think, even though they're one and two on our list, that Torkelson and Martin are locked to go one and two. I would agree with that. Um, I was talking to someone recently about you know what the Orioles would do. And while most people seem to think, and you know, I, in, the, in the mock I did, uh, it was Torkelson, then, then Martin. If the Orioles were to take Asa Lacey, or even if they decided that Emerson Hancock was the guy, I don't think anyone would raise an eyebrow or wonder, you know, like, what, what the heck are they, or, you know, what are they doing? The, the, those guys belong in that, in that conversation, I think, for sure, even if it seems like the two bats are the are the two players that most people right now think uh, will go in those top two spots? I, I think too that if they wanted to go bad, and I'm not. I mean, I would take Martin second myself right now. But if they wanted to go bad because they know pitchers are going to last, I mean, it's not the question they could go Nick Gonzalez either. I mean, that wouldn't be like an unbelievable pick. Again, again, I don't know what the Orioles think of Martin defensively and where he fits. But if you you know, if you have concerns about his arm or his defense, uh, you know, you could certainly take Nick Gonzalez. I don't think Nick Gonzalez is a shortstop, but I think he could definitely yeah. play second. And get there in a hurry. And then you're looking at Adley Rushman and Nick Gonzalez getting to your big league lineup as you're trying to rebuild very quickly. And you have Nick Gonzalez's former double play partner, Joey Ortiz, already in the system after taking him in the fifth round last year. So, Uh-oh. You can corner the market on New Mexico State middle infielders. So I'd have to look back at uh, your mock drafts from the past few years when we were when we were approximately a month out. But looking at uh, the the top 200 draft prospects list from the past several years, 
Uh, last year, Rutschman was number one, went number one. 2018, Mize was number one. Uh, prior to that, the past, the previous few years, Hunter Green was number one. Um, Jason Groom was number one. Brendan Rodgers was number one. Brady Aiken was number one, high schoolers. But I'm looking at the past couple of years, is Torkelson at this point a month out as much of a slam dunk as Rutschman and Mize were? Or, you know, I know I know it's maybe hard to compare since now, you know, you know what happened in those drafts. Um, but, but what do you think? Is he as much of a slam dunk? I, I think so. Don't you, Jonathan? I mean, I mean, look, this is an odd spring because – you, you don't have guys building on their performance. And, you know, I mean, Torkelson might have like 18 home runs by now and, you know, just fueling it. But like, I do think like, especially talking to other teams, um, I, I think there would just be a, a lot of teams shocked if he didn't go number one. And it was kind of the same thing. I mean, if you remember last year around this time, there was this, oh, you know, there's mysterious shoulder concerns about Rutschman and Kenny throw and this and that. And teams were just having none of that. I mean, I, I had other teams tell me if the Royals don't take him, it's a huge mistake. Like, you know, come on. Like, you, know, you get some of that thing. And with Casey Mize, I don't think there was ever that close a challenger to Casey Mize. I mean, at least last year you had Bobby Witt and you had, uh, you know, Andrew Vaughn, you know, who were, you know, kind of generational talents for their profiles. But, like, I don't remember Casey Mize really having a close competitor where you ever thought, Oh, they could go in that direction. Like I'm trying to think like, like we had Brady Singer too. you know, Madrigal and bomb were went in the top four. Like, like, I don't think any, who went, I don't even, who went too. Cause it was, um, bomb went third and Madrigal went fourth. Oh, Joey Bart went too. Like you never heard talk of Joey Bart going number one. Like we had all those guys up at the top, toward the top of our list, but like you never heard any talk that that was really going to happen. No, I think, you know, the the only sort of pause with Mize heading in to the year was, you know, some of those sort of minor injury durability concerns. And then he went out and ran away and hit, really, with how he pitched during his junior year. Um, and I think that's what – not that there was any closeness to, you know, someone else in the conversation, but, you know, at this point – Two years ago, he had made every start, had been unbelievably dominant. You know, it uh, there wasn't there were no questions to be answered. That's you know one thing that's been been missed been missing now that you know you could say, well, maybe there would be a difference. And I do think that if this season had been going on, Turkelson's numbers would be so ridiculous that uh, that it would even be a, a greater separator, like like it was for Mize. In that draft, was there um, 2018? Was there ever any consideration to Matthew Libertor? I, I feel like I, at some point there was some talk about, you know, oh, a high school lefty, you know, potentially receiving consideration to go number one over. Well, you know, so I think what what happens is, you know, in every year you start hearing some whispers that and and. The truth of the whispers comes from teams picking one one, making sure that they have a plan B, plan C, plan D. If you know they talk to Mises people and he won't accept 
the amount of money that they're offer and it and it blows up. And so then you start hearing whispers, well, you know, I'm hearing that they could decide to, and I feel like since the draft bonus pool system was instituted, every year there are whispers, oh, the team at 1-1, you know, they may cut a deal to save a lot of money. And as Jim has, I can't even begin to say how many times Jim has pointed out that that top spot, you know, Players have never signed for full value, so you're saving money anyway. Are you going to save that much more money? Um, you know, things of, things of that nature. Um, I think that that's where, like, Libertor's name may have sort of slipped into the conversation for a, for a half a second. But I don't think that that was ever, like, a serious consideration for the Tigers. Yeah, I'm looking here. I actually dug up my story. That was the year I did our annual – who is the team considering it number one story? And, uh, you know, Libertor was in their mix a month before the draft. And going in, I guess the day before the draft, I wrote Mize was the strong favorite. Um, and then the other five, four names were Bart, Baum, Singer, and Matt Libertor. Although, like, like when you have a college pitcher like that, you're not going to take a high school arm over him. I do know... I do know of a team that wasn't picking at the top of the draft that did have Libertor as their number one player on their board that year, and uh, you know, but didn't get the chance to take. Okay, it. let's uh, let's shift gears here, and we are uh, we're doing a story this week where we look at each team's best small school draft pick, um, which was a little bit difficult to define, but I think we ironed that out. Um, and, uh, it's an interesting list of players. I want to, want to talk about the guys that, uh, that you, Jim, Jonathan, and, and also Mike Rosenbaum identified as the best small school pick for each team. And then I also want to, uh, look at this year's draft class and, uh, whether there are any, any, uh, small school, uh, prospects we should be looking at this year. Sure. And, you know, the thing I, the thing I thought was interesting is, I mean, look, look, I mean, I love draft history as much as anybody, and I knew there were going to be some good players. Were you guys surprised that we came up with, I mean, and, and just the definition we wound up settling on was basically non-NCAA Division One at the time that the guy was, was drafted. Um, were you guys surprised we had five Hall of Famers and a slam dunk sixth and a probable seventh among 30 teams? Yeah, I mean, almost a, a third of the teams having uh... – Hall of Fame caliber player from a non-division one school is, and, and obviously, you know, not, not uh, considering high school players. So cutting the, the pool uh, more or less in half with that. So yeah, that's uh, I would say that's surprising. I mean, obviously a lot of great stories on here. I mean, just among the, the teams I did, uh, you know, Jim Tomey was at Illinois central community college and, just had a scout. You know, we actually wrote about him in each team's best like draft steal of all time a little while ago. Um, Tom Couston was was a local scout who just liked the bat and, and thought the power would play. And yeah, I guess he was right. Um, you know, Mike Piazza probably the most famous story on here. I think you know where he was basically drafted in the 62nd round out of Miami Dade Community College North in 1988 as a favor to Tommy Lasorda, who you know was a family friend of, of the Piazzas. Um, and Piazza winds up being one of the best offensive catchers uh, of all time. I mean, you had a couple of Hall of Famers too, didn't you, Jonathan, among your, your type names? 
Yeah, I mean, uh, probably the, and Jim, you and I were sort of going back and forth about about Kirby Puckett's story, which is really an unbelievable story uh, in terms of a small school. You went to went to uh, high school uh, in the Chicago area, then went off to, and I've already forgotten what four year school he started. At. Yeah, he went to Bradley, then had to come back home for for family reasons and went to Triton Junior College. Uh, now, during the strike, um, Jim Rance, who was at the time the assistant farm director for the Twins, saw Kirby Puckett playing in a summer league uh, between those years, said, okay, interesting guy. Um, and based solely on Jim Rance seeing him in the summer league, the Twins took Puckett in the January phase of the draft, which obviously no longer exists, Puckett goes on to Triton Community College and goes off, has one of the best junior college seasons in the history of two-year schools. There's a lot of interest, but because of the rules then, the Twins still had the rights to Puckett and were able to sign him before he re-entered the draft. Um, No one else in the Twins organization had seen him. So uh, the fact that, you know, that not only does he get signed, makes it to the big leagues and has a Hall of Fame career is kind of, to me, is like maybe the, my favorite of the, of the stories of, of the small school guys on, on my teams. Yeah, when I, when I looked at that list, that was one of a couple schools that I said to myself, I don't even know where that is. Come on. And I guess it, it's kind of in your neck of the woods. Well, it's just taking a shot at Illinois there. It's just terrible. It's in River Grove, Illinois. Come on. Everybody knows that, Jason. That, 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 that's your St. Louis bias taking shots at uh, – it's just terrible. That, that's in my home county here in Cook County, Illinois, Triton is. Um, I've driven – I can't remember why I was out in that neck of the woods, but I have driven by Triton in the past. I mean, there's all kinds of great stories on here too. I mean – Andre Dawson's a classic example. You know, just looking at some of the teams that, that Mike Rosenbaum wrote up. You know, Andre Dawson had a knee injury in, in, in high school uh, and wound up going to Florida A&M. And I just wasn't seen. And, you know, the Expos spotted him and, and jumped on him. And obviously, you know, he winds up going to the Hall of Fame. You have Ozzie Smith, who was at Cal Poly, which I think at the time was a Division II program. Uh, you know, wound up being a... A fourth round pick, I want to say, out of uh, out of uh, Cal Poly. The Tigers actually took him the year before, in 1976, in what could have been like like it already was one of the better all time drafts. The Tigers in 1976 got Steve Kemp in January, then got Alan Trammell, Dan Petrie, and Jack Morris in June, and took Ozzie Smith in the seventh round, but didn't sign him. So he goes back for his senior year and winds up signing. For five thousand um, dollars, when Cal Poly was a Division two school, um, you know, and 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 this was a guy. It's funny, I, Ozzie. It's amazing to me that he got overlooked as much as he did, because he was on the same high school team with Eddie Murray, Daryl Jackson, and Gary Alexander, which is three big leaguers, and got overlooked. And then you know, one of the more famous stories too is, is Albert Pujols, who wound up going. He was came over from the Dominican. He's at a Missouri high school. 
I actually remember at the time being surprised. We actually had a Baseball America. Albert Pujols was on our top 100 high school players list toward the end. So somebody gave his name to Alan Simpson. I don't know how Alan came up with his name with very little background on him. And I think there were some, some questions as to how old he was, what his background exactly was. And he wound up graduating early, going to Maplewoods Community College in, uh, in Missouri. And nowadays you get stories from all these teams like, oh, we were on him, but we didn't draft him because of this. And then that's kind of garbage because he went in the 13th round. Um, yeah, I think there were some questions as to what position you're going to you're going to take the guy in. But yeah, the, the Cardinals initially offered him, I want to say, I think it was like ten thousand dollars in the 13th round. And he turned that down, went and played summer ball in the Jayhawk League, won the batting title. And so the Cardinals relented and gave him a whopping $60,000 bonus um, uh, and signed him. But, yeah, I mean, that's that's six Hall of Famers. And then Kurt Schilling will probably wind up in the Hall of Fame one day. And he was a, a January draft pick by the Red Sox out of Yavapai uh, Junior College in Arizona. So that could, that could be seven Hall of Famers. And who knows, maybe Andy Pettit makes it in. And Andy Pettit was drafted out of high school under the draft and follow rules, went to San Jacinto Junior College. So, I mean, we could have eight Hall of Famers on this, you know, 30-man 30, 30 list one day, which is pretty amazing. So looking at this year's uh, draft class, who are some of the more highly ranked uh, small school players? And I think, and having talked to you guys a little bit about this, that they're they're uh, predominantly, if, if not entirely, uh, junior college guys versus uh, – four-year non-Division one schools, right? I don't think we're going to have a non – I think all the college guys are either four-year school, four-year Division one schools or JUCO guys on our top 200 when all will be said and done. Yeah, I think that's right. And I know for my end of things, the highest guy I have is Beck Way, who's currently 96. He's at Northwest Florida State. It's a junior college in Florida. I almost like think there needs to be different categories because, you know, two-year schools in Florida are really good. I mean, it's really good baseball. Um, so he did start at the Division II school. He was at Belmont Abbey and then transferred to Northwest Florida and uh, was a guy who probably people would be talking about more um, because he pitched really well out of the gate this year and then things got shut down so people didn't get a chance to see him more. But – you know, six four, two hundred, uh, probably more velocity uh, in there, and is already up to ninety five. You know, good breaking ball, uh, throws a cutter. Um, he's kind of interesting. Um, maybe he ends up in a bullpen, but you know, good arm strength, good size. Uh, so that's that's the the uh, the the high end, and for me, in terms of my guys, I I think of the non Division one colleges. And I've got I have Texas JUCO guys bookending Beckway at Connor Phillips is 95 at McLennan Community College, and Brandon Birdsell's 97 at San Jacinto Junior College. And yes, we did kind of intentionally throw all those guys in together when we did the top 150. You know, Connor Phillips is interesting. You know, he was on our top 200 last year, coming out of high school, got some offers for third round money, turned them down. He was going to go to LSU, but he wanted to remain draft eligible, so he he went to McLennan instead. And he opened the season very hot, up to 98 miles an hour, 
flashed a plus curveball. His last start was not as good. And then Brandon Birdsell at San Jacinto Junior College kind of went the other direction. He began his career at Texas A&M, didn't pitch much, went to San Jack. Um, and he started off a little slower. And then his last start, uh, he hit 97. His fastball was better than ever. Um, this is a guy, you know, Bertzel did not have much feel for spin in the past, but he's come up with a, a pretty good slider cutter and, and a, a power is probably more of a power slurve than a curve, but he's come with more stuff. He's only pitched 36 innings in, in two college seasons between San Jack and A&M. Um, you know, we'll have some more Juco guys when we expand from 150 to 200 next week. I'll have two more San Jack guys. Like they, they could have three pitchers who go in the first five rounds. I, I was looking at my list, Jonathan. And I think my best four-year guy who's non-Division one, and he won't be on the 200, is a kid named Brandon Fat at, at Bellarmine in Kentucky who pitched well in the Cape. He's up to 96 with some hard sink, uh, 6'4", 220 at times. Probably more of a reliever because he, he kind of tends to sit 88 to 91 by the third inning or so. Um, you know, got a solid curveball, has a changeup, throws strikes. Um, he's a candidate to go in the first five rounds too and was in our – discussion of guys to add to the 200 but just missed he he would be my best four-year guy at a non-d1 school yeah i i'd have to dig some more um i mean i have a bunch of names but i didn't i really did not have a lot of guys come up um, oh yeah, wait a minute i know what you know what we have a guy what about nick garcia we totally forgot about nick garcia right oh i'm terrible aren't they division three uh, Chapman is Division Three. Yes. So, see. So give, give, give Nick Garcia some love. Thank you. Thank you for for the save there. Um, considering that he's in our top uh, in our top one hundred, uh, kind of similar to Beck Way, just in terms of good size. Um, he had pitched, uh, you know, mostly out of the bullpen, um, and helped uh, helped Chapman win the Division Three World Series last year. Um. Or was it two years ago? Two years ago, uh, as a as a freshman, moved into rotation this year. A lot of early buzz, um, three pitches, decent control. So he and Beckway are very very similar. So I do apologize both to Nick Garcia and to the Chapman baseball program for forgetting that he's the only four year school uh, non Division one guy. Thank you for that. Well, it's, it's, it, it's my fault for, for looking and missing him earlier. And you know who would be disgusted with this would be Jason's predecessor as Pipeline podcast host, Jordan Schusterman, who has a podcast devoted to Division Three baseball. He, If he's listening to this, he will be outraged when he, he hears us initially forget about Nick Garcia. And he's going to send us a long list of other Division Three and small school players that we should be uh, we should be looking at. I, I do have the live-armed Mo Hanley at Adrian College in Michigan. So, Jordan, don't don't be mad at me. Uh, I, I do have him on my radar. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> I told you guys that I was going to uh, give you a pop quiz at the end of the podcast today. Um, I, I thought I thought the pop quiz was our 60-60 thing. Uh, so I, wow, no, it's, it's like a double pop quiz. Double pop quiz. It's similar in nature. And actually, we've, we've done a little bit of this already uh, – on Slack over the past few days. And I know that this comes with the caveat that the, the, the grades that you guys have given draft prospects over the years have varied some and they're not entirely consistent. But with that being said, um, I want to, I want to give you 
the name of a, a former draft prospect, and in some of the, some cases, these guys are now current big leaguers, well-known players. I want to give you the name of a player who has the exact had the exact same tool grades when he was a draft prospect as someone on this year's top draft prospects list. Are they same positions, or could they be different positions potentially? I will let you know. It could potentially be different positions. In the in the first case here, same position. Um, uh, Ian Happ, and and that's a, and I know when you say same position, that gets a little tricky with Happ. Uh, Nick Gonzalez, if we're talking second well, base, uh, Happ, I believe at the, at the time we had him listed as an outfielder. Okay, because I nobody thought he could really play second. Right. I, I guess I guess Dean Happ, so you can go. I mean, I guess uh, Nick Gonzalez, so you can guess Jonathan before I fire off another another guess. Uh, outfielder. Um, go ahead if you have another guess. I'm, I'm... Is it it's is it Garrett Mitchell? Were we were we generous with Ian Happ's grades? No, because if you'll remember, I told you I mentioned to you guys about Mitchell that we've never given anyone. Uh, grades of a 60 hit grade, 60 or higher, 50 or higher power grade, and 70 or higher run grade. We've never given any, anyone uh, that combination of tools that Mitchell has. Um, it is, uh, it's a high school. Uh, it's throwing us off. Okay. Um, Robert Hassel. That is it. That's correct. Uh, 60 hit tool, 50 power, 55 run, 55 arm, and 50 field. Um, do, you get, do you guys see it at all? Yeah, I, I could see that because it's like I, 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 Hendrick, not Hendrick, Hassel is a guy who can play center, but it's, he's not a pure burner. Um, so I, I could see that. And they, they were both hit over power guys, although Hap has kind of gone in the other direction in pro ball. Here's a, here's a kind of interesting one. Um, this is a player from last year's draft, Reese Hines. Um, you remind you of anyone tools wise? 45 hit, 60 power. That's yeah. That should that should be a could it be Blaze Jordan? Could it be Blaze Jordan? <laughs> Nicely done. Wait, Heston Kirstad is also 45 hit and 60 power. But we're talking all five tools, right? Are you going all five? All five, yep, all five across the board. 45, 60, 40, 50, and 45. And I think there's questions on both Blaze Jordan and Reese Hines as to whether they could really play third base, too. So, Correct. All right, let me, let me pull up uh, another one here for you. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to – I'm going to give you uh, – some more. I'm going to give you a few more, but they're not going to be uh, they're not going to be the exact same tool grades. But they're going to be it's going to be the player who had the most similar tool grades to some of the very top guys. Um, and I think okay, we've done a few of these. So let me uh, let me find some that we have not done yet. All right, Ian Happ comes up again. How about uh, 
Logan Warmoth. Logan has really struggled in pro ball, so I don't know if anybody wants to have this direct parallel. Um, is this the same position? Um, Casey Martin. No, Casey Martin's a lot faster than Logan Warmoth. Um, Ed Howard? Are we doing the same position here? There aren't a lot of shortstops. Okay, I'll say Ed Howard. Not Ed Howard. It's a 60-hit, 45-power, 55-run, 50-arm, and 50-field. Uh, this sounds like Nick Gonzalez who's playing shortstop but not yeah, really at is. the next level. Yeah, that sounds, sounds like Nick Gonzalez. That is indeed who it is. And I, I gave you guys this one before, but I thought it was interesting. Uh, you should, I assume you'll remember who, who this was, but uh, very similar grades across the board to Michael Javis and Kyle Tucker. Well, Jonathan correctly guessed this before me yesterday, so I will let him take the honors. You know, I've already forgotten what I guessed, so go ahead. <laughs> what, was, it, was it Zach Green? No, it was Zach Green, yeah. What, what do you think about that, that comparison? I mean, Javis and Tucker, I mean, Chavis at the time was uh, – Shortstop, Tucker, maybe more of a an accurate comp there. I like that comparison. I like the Tucker comparison. I mean, they're both Florida high school outfielders. You know, Tucker was considered one of the best hitters in that draft, just like Venus in this draft. Um, probably hit over power at the time, but still had plenty of power. Um, you know, probably corner guys when all is said and done. I like that. In fact, Jonathan, your write-up even talks about how Zach Veen has drawn Kyle Cutter, Tucker comps. There were some area guys who sort of used him as the sort of benchmark, and and you know Tucker was probably a little faster. Um, you know, thought of as slightly more athletic, um, but you know, at the end of the day, they think they both end up as you know in, in outfield corners. But yeah, no, I, I think that one actually. I like that. Uh, I like the Kyle Tucker to Zach Veen comparison. All right. Lo- let me give you one last one here. Uh, Alex Kirilov. You're giving Jonathan all kinds of Pittsburgh guys here with Ian Happ and Alex Kirilov. All kinds of Pittsburgh guys. I should compare him to uh, Austin Hendrick just to compare the high school Pittsburgh guys, but I know that's not it. Um, uh, don't be so sure of yourself. Really? I don't think like that, that. That one doesn't work as well for me because I think of Kirilov. I mean, he had power, but as a guy who was a really gifted hitter, and Hendrick to me is power over hit. Yeah, well, I, Kirilov's hit grade was probably light. I would say uh, back in 2016, it was a 50. He was way to go, John. Hammer the hometown guy. Oh, what was that going, man? 50. Power. Trying to offset my 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 bias. He was 50 hit and 60 power? Unless the data got entered uh, incorrectly. I'd have to go back and look here. He was 50 hit, 55 power back then, yeah. Yeah, he's certainly a guy that is uh, – we'll go, we'll go back and change that. <laughs> I had not remembered that Alex Kirilov was committed to Liberty. That would have been a nice get for the Flames. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, let's hope that this time next week we know a little bit more about – uh, the details of the draft and we'll have uh, regardless we'll have plenty more uh, draft chatter next week 
Thanks to everybody for listening in to uh, this edition of the Pipeline Podcast, and we will talk to you all next week.